Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 is our text this morning. Matthew 7, verse 15. Jesus gives us, thank you, Jesus gave us two warnings in this passage we're going to look at. The first warning that Jesus gave is that we need to beware of false prophets who may come within our community and within our circles. The second warning that Jesus gave in our text is that we need to beware of non-believers who are in our Christian circles who think they're Christians, but they're not. Matthew 7, verse 15, this is God's word. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will clear to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. As mentioned here, Jesus gave us two warnings to consider and to beware of. The first warning is that of false prophets who come into our circles and our community and try to lead us astray. And the second warning are those non-believers in our community who think they're Christians but actually aren't. As we look at the first warning of false prophets, I'm reminded of a story that Chuck Swindoll gave. Swindoll talked about one of his friends who went over to a friend's house for, for dinner and this friend, uh, he, he went over to, she had, just, she had just finished a gourmet cooking class. And so she wanted to show off her new skills. And what she did was uh, she put uh, her, her food and, and created an hors d'oeuvre and put it on a silver platter and she served it to her guest. But, but she wanted to play a trick on her guests and she decided to disguise dog food as the main course or as the hors d'oeuvre and so she put dog food on crackers and mixed it up with, with the little bacon chips and cheese and even had an olive with it. And she served it to her guest. This is a, a home in Miami and she was a physician and just thought, I'm gonna play a trick on my friends. They think I'm gonna serve them a, a nice meal and I'm gonna serve them dog food. So she literally serves them dog food on a silver platter and the guest had no idea. And so they began eating the dog food. And Chuck Swindoll said his friend, who was one of the guests, he he wanted more of it, and so he kept eating the dog food. And no, this wasn't some kind of initiation into a fraternity. It wasn't because his friend was starving. He really believed that uh, this, this woman that they, he and his wife went to, their house, was, was having their best interests at heart and was serving them a good meal, a good meal. And so after about 10 minutes, after the guest had eaten this dog food, the host decided to tell them the horrific news. You just ate dog food. And to Swindoll's surprise, Swindoll said, my friend and all of us were kind of shocked, but we kind of laughed it off and awkward, in an awkward laugh, and we went about our night. To each his own, I guess. 
But the reason I bring this example up to you is this is what false prophets do. They serve you dog food on a silver platter. They disguise it. They disguise what we would call truth, but they disguise their false truth, or they disguise their false teaching, uh, and, they, and they serve it to us on a silver platter where we wouldn't know any different unless we really see it. That's what false prophets do. And we know that Jesus gave us a clear warning that false prophets will be among you. As you read through the entire Bible, this is a common theme throughout Scripture, that of false teachers and false prophets. One of the, the biggest issues of God's people in the Old Testament wasn't simply the enemies of God, like the Babylonians and the Assyrians, but it was actually false prophets that came in and led God's people astray time and time and time again. I think of Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah was living in some really hard days, and, and he was called by God to, to prophesy to God's people that judgment was coming. But there were hundreds of false prophets in Jeremiah's day that were giving a different message. And they were saying, oh, don't listen to Jeremiah because we're living in days of peace and peace will come. It was so difficult for Jeremiah because he felt alone in his message that he wanted to throw in the towel and give it up. But he couldn't give it up because God called him uh, to provide truth to what people needed to hear in his days. But yet he was... It was, it, was, it was as if he was swimming upstream against all these false prophets that were trying to lead God's, prophet, God's people astray. You fast forward to the New Testament, and not only does Jesus talk about false prophets in his Sermon on the Mount, but he also, at the end of his, of his life here on this earth, in Matthew 24, he said, many false prophets will arise and, and lead many astray. He was foretelling the future as a true prophet does. A true prophet not only foretells the future, but also foretells the truth in the sense that they always speak the truth. And Jesus was saying there's going to be false prophets who will not speak the truth and will not preach from the word of God, but instead they will lead the people astray. When we get to the New Testament letters, most of the epistles of Paul and even we see the letters of Peter and John, they mention false prophets and false teachers. It's a common theme threaded throughout all of the Bible. And in Acts chapter 20, Paul warned the elders of Ephesus. He said, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert for these savage wolves, these false prophets who will come and try to lead you astray. These are the words that Jesus gave in verse 15 of chapter 7 of Matthew, when he said, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. It's hard for us to detect a false prophet, especially at first glance, because they're wearing sheep's clothing. They appear to look the part. They even sound the part. They speak the part. So as you're listening to them, you think, oh, this is a normal preacher or a normal teacher of the faith. So it's really hard at first sitting or first glance to identify a false prophet from a true one. But deep down, they're ravenous wolves seeking to devour and destroy you. So the question I have for you this morning when, when we think about false prophets is how do you detect a false prophet from a true one? And this is what Jesus was getting at in verse 16 when he said, you will recognize them by their fruits he said, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? 
So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Jesus was saying to us, or he's saying to us, that we can detect a false prophet by their fruits. You will recognize them, know them by their fruits. The word recognize means to know and to have an exact knowledge of. We can have an exact knowledge of a false prophet by their fruits. But sometimes they're hard to detect. In Palestine, there are buckthorn bushes that produce blackberries that look like grapes from a distance. There are also thistles that have flowers that appear to be figs. But in Palestine, when you go up to these thorn bushes, then you will realize, well, these aren't figs. When you go up to, these, uh, to, to, the, to see these grapes that you think are grapes, they're not grapes, but yet you see that they are blackberries. Looks can be deceiving. But it takes an up-close inspection to discover that they're not grapes, but, but yet they're blackberries. They're not figs, but yet they're thorns. In the same way, it's going to take us a close inspection to identify a false prophet from a true one. So how do we know if we're hearing and dealing with a false prophet? Well, there's a couple things to think about. The first thing to inspect is, is that we can inspect a false prophet by what they say. Over time, as you listen to a false prophet, you'll be able to determine a false one from a true by what they say. A false prophet may be entertaining and they may use theatrics, but yet their rhetoric will be empty. False prophets, they replace exposition with entertainment. They substitute theology with theatrics. They substitute sound doctrine with sound bites. They give self-help snippets and bumper sticker slogans they focus on positive thinking, political commentary, and they even give inspirational stories and quotes and illustrations just to move and wow an audience. Their message is more therapeutic than it is theological, and it's clever than it is convicting. So over time, if you leave a service that a false prophet preaches at, You'll probably leave feeling pretty good and emotional. You might be even on a high, but yet the week goes by and you either forgot what they said or you weren't convicted at all by what they said, but instead you left feeling good about yourself and feeling good about your life. A false prophet will lead you astray by promoting self-help. You can also detect a false prophet from a true, not by just what they say, but also by, why, by what they don't say. False prophets, they, they don't preach on hard topics like hell or like sin or Satan. They, they don't talk about controversial things in the sense that can be convicting, but yet they, they focus solely on words that will comfort and soothe the soul and make you feel good about yourself. But, but they, they never talk about the judgment of God or the holiness of God. 
They rarely say anything that would be offensive to people, but they simply give feel-good messages. So you can determine a false prophet from a true by what they say and also by what they don't say. Donald Barnhouse, the, the late pastor in Philadelphia, he, he, he was talking about how Satan's most diabolical strategy to destroy the church would not be if, let's just imagine you're in downtown Knoxville and all the bars have closed down and, and, and all the kids are well-behaved and they're telling their moms, yes, ma'am, and, and, and no, ma'am, and, 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 and also not only are their bars closed, but the church are, are filled to the max. He said, what's wrong with that picture? There's, yeah, that's a good picture, right? But then he said, but Satan's most diabolical strategy to lead the church astray and to destroy the church is if you had churches that were full, but the preachers weren't even talking about Jesus. Not once would a preacher talk about Jesus and how he forgives us of our sins. Unfortunately, many churches today in America and throughout our world are filled with false prophets that give feel-good messages, great stories and illustrations. They might throw a verse here and there that is completely out of context, but you leave kind of feeling good about yourself. Michael Horton said, the church in America today is so obsessed with being practical, relevant, helpful, successful, and even well-liked that it mirrors the world itself. Aside from the packaging, there is nothing that cannot be found in most churches today that could not be satisfied by any number of secular programs and self-help groups. What Horton was saying here is it's hard sometimes in the church in America today to distinguish between a self-help group and a support group and a church. So you will recognize a false prophet by what they say and by what they don't say. They don't talk about Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins and his resurrection and death. You will also be able to recognize and detect a false prophet from a true one in what they do. By their fruits, you will recognize them, meaning by their life. Beliefs determine how we behave. What we believe will determine how we behave and how we live. And over time, you will realize quickly that a false prophet is indeed a false prophet by how they act and what they do in their life. A false prophet is like a wolf in that he's only in it for himself. And he will seek to destroy you so that he could benefit from your destruction. A false prophet will not display the fruit of the spirit. They will not display love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, or self-control. They won't display any of those things, but instead they will live lives of jealousy, of pride, of arrogance, of deception. They will try to stir up division and strife and bring up drama in the church because that's what they do. They use the sheep for their own purposes. In John's third letter that he wrote, Third John, he gave a good example of a false prophet, Diotrephes. Verse 9 and 10, he said this about this man, Diotrephes. He said, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. 
And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. This is a clear example of a false prophet, a false teacher. Diotrephes, what what does it say here? He liked to put himself first. He didn't acknowledge authority, so he hates accountability. He hates checks and balances. He doesn't like when people confront him or call him out on something that he said. He also talks wicked nonsense about other pastors. He brings them down. He throws them under the bus. And he's discontent. He refuses to welcome missionaries, is the context here, or even other believers into the church. And he stops those who he wants to stop, and he puts them out of the church. In other words, if he feels threatened by a true prophet, he's gonna talk bad about them and kick them out because he's territorial and he's insecure, and he's arrogant, and prideful, and selfish. That's a false prophet. So again, Jesus is saying, beware of these people, because they've been around all throughout history, and they are all over the church even today in our own society here in America. But what happens to these false prophets? Verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, Vengeance is mine, he will repay. And these false prophets will have it coming for them, is what Jesus was saying here. So beware of false prophets among you. The second warning that Jesus gives us is to beware that there are non-believers among you who think they're Christians and they're not. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. These are the most terrifying words in all of the Bible. They're gut-wrenching. Imagine yourself standing on judgment day in front of Jesus, and he looks at you and says, I never knew you. Even though you might think you know me, you don't. Depart from me. Imagine Jesus saying that to you. It's terrifying. I guarantee every single one of us in this room knows of people who think they're Christians and they're not. They say they're Christians, but they're not. In our new members class, I I give this illustration. I had a a friend in high school where um, I I actually ran my junior year, I ran for student government president, and I ended up having a friend run against me, and he was was a friend of mine, and I think he just wanted to run against me just to mess with me, But, uh, but he ended up running a really vicious and mean campaign. Uh, he, he, he even wrote these um, posters and posted them up on the, on the wall that said, Seth rhymes with death. <laughs> I kid you not. He was just trying to get in my head. And then he would make all these promises to people that I had some experience. I had run some campaigns before and had been the class president for a couple years. And I knew all these promises he sang, they, they can't, he can't do these things. Like he's promoting a platform that simply can't be done. Trust me, I know I've had experience. You are over promising and you're gonna under deliver if you're not careful. 
but yet he just kept trying to say things just to get votes, and he kept trying to throw me under the bus. It was really hard. It was a really hard season for me. Well, by God's grace, I won the election, and a couple months later, we end up going to a Young Life camp. It was in the summer, about 100 of us from Bearden High School down the road. We, we chose to go to Colorado and went to Frontier. If you've ever been, it's beautiful, and, and we went there, 100 of us, and, and it was the second to last night where we were about to pack up our bags and go home, and the speaker was, was, was great, and, and he gave a, an incredible gospel invitation for people to, to give their life to Christ. Well, that night, my friend, who was vicious to me in the campaign, was, was just sobbing. Tears fell down his face, and we ended up going back to the cabin, and, and he apologized to me and said, you know, Seth, I really treated you poorly. I'm, I'm really sorry. Uh, please forgive me, and, and I, really, I really feel led to, to give my life to the Lord, and, and I'm crying with him. I mean, it was a night I'll never forget. Two weeks go by, and he's back to, him, to his old self again. I saw him several years ago at one of our reunions, and I haven't really noticed a change. I hope, I hope he's a believer, but he's not, he didn't really show me after that, and over time, it doesn't seem like that prayer that night that he gave stuck. You know, I do a lot of funerals, and I do a lot for the military as I'm, I'm a chaplain, and it's happened so many times where the family will, will call me and they'll say, I hope that my loved one is a believer. I, I, after I get off the phone with them, I, I just shake my head and I'm thinking, I need to encourage the members at Christ Covenant, don't let your family members question whether or not you're a believer or not. Because that's the worst thing when you lose a loved one and they wonder, is my loved one a believer? Was and, and every now and then they'll say, well, they went to a Billy Graham crusade and they, and they went to the altar at a Baptist church and they gave their life to Christ and made a public profession and it was great. But so many people rely on those events. They're not truly changed. And that's what Jesus was getting at here. He was saying so many people say, Lord, Lord. And Lord, Lord was a, was a intimate way of saying things. Like whenever a person in the Bible would repeat a name twice, it was with profound affection. And it was as if they, were, they had an intimate, close relationship with that person. 15 times in the Bible, you see where someone repeats names. I'll just name a few. When Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac, uh, God sent an angel and stopped Abraham right before he was gonna sacrifice his son. And what did he say? Abraham, Abraham, do not lay your hand on the lad, for, for now I know you fear me. When, when God called Moses out of the burning bush, what did, what did God say to Moses? He said, Moses, Moses, take your sandals off for the place you stand on is holy ground. When God called Samuel as a young boy and in the middle of the night, Samuel thought it was Eli waking him up, but it was the Holy Spirit waking him up when he said, Samuel, Samuel, wake up. I have a message to give you, to give to the priests. When David found out his son Absalom was killed in battle, what did he cry out? Absalom, Absalom. When Jesus rebuked Martha after visiting her and Mary, what did he say? Martha, Martha, you're worried about troubled and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken from her. When Jesus was on the cross, what did he say to his father? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
These were several accounts, but 15 times throughout scripture, we see a name that was repeated. Why was that so? Well, whenever you repeated a name, it expressed profound affection for that person. Jesus was giving a clear warning. There are people who may have expressed one time a deep affection for me, but that one time didn't last. It came and it went. And I hate to say it, but so many people in the South, and I'm from here, you can tell I love it, they were lying on that one-time event that they had when they were a teenager, and they went before the altar at the church, at the altar call, or they went to a Billy Graham crusade many years ago, or they went to a revival, and they said, now I'm a believer because of that one time, but yet the rest of their life, you couldn't tell the difference between them and a non-believer. They never went back to church. They never gave to the church. They never gave their time. They never got involved. And yet so many people today are banking on that one profession they made. Religious lip service is what I call it. But yet Jesus is crystal clear here. It takes a cost to follow me. You gotta take up your cross daily and follow me. And it's by their fruits that you will recognize not only false prophets, but a believer from a non-believer. So again, please don't rely so heavily on that one time and that one prayer. That prayer, may have been, that prayer may have been what led you to Christ. Praise the Lord for that. But I like what John Calvin said. Throughout our Christian life, it's as if we have a continual conversion. It's not just one experience. It's many experiences. It's, it's many things that that lead us to Christ, where we rededicate our lives to Christ, we renew our lives to Christ, we're revived, we're re-energized. This should happen throughout a lifetime, not just one time. And that's what Jesus was warning us about. Don't bank on that one experience you may have had. He also said, don't bank on some of the good things that you did. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. This is a really difficult passage to comprehend because what Jesus is saying is, is that people were doing things in his name for good. And you wonder, well, how is that the case? And if they're not gonna be in heaven, that doesn't really make sense. But yet we believe in a sovereign God who uses common grace. He shows common grace to believers and non-believers to promote his glory and his good and our good. We, we see a few instances of people that did good things for the Lord but yet are not in heaven. Think about Balaam in Numbers chapter 22 through 24. You know the, talk, the talking donkey story? Balaam prophesied correct things for the Lord. But yet we know in 2 Peter, he's not a believer. What about Saul, King Saul? King Saul, he prophesied some truth, but yet <laughs> he didn't finish well. An evil spirit came upon him, which tells me the Holy Spirit wasn't in him. But perhaps the most profound example of this is Judas. Judas was with Jesus for three years. Judas, we know in Luke that he even cast demons out of people in the name of Christ. 
We know Judas probably spoke with authority as Jesus did. Judas probably performed miracles in the name of Jesus. But what do we know about Judas? We know that he cursed and betrayed the Lord. Matthew 26, the son of man goes as is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Those are stern, frank, harsh words from Jesus about Judas. But Judas probably relied on all these good things that he did, thinking that got him into heaven. But he's not there. Terrifying words that Jesus gave us here that should wake all of us up. And that one day we'll have a judgment day and will God say, I never knew you? Will he say that? Will you, are you relying on the fact that you grew up in a Christian home and you, you grew up going to church and you, know, uh, you, you don't cuss and you know, you've been faithful to your spouse and, and, and you've served the homeless a few times in your life? Are you relying on those things? Or are you relying on Christ? So the question I have for you to finish out here and to think about is, how do you know that you're a Christian? How do you know that you belong to the family of God? Two things. Number one, and we did it earlier today, do you repent? Do you truly understand what repentance is? Mark 1, Jesus said, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Have you truly repented over your sins? Do you have a heartfelt sorrow over your sins? If you have, and if you've done that, and if you're doing that, you're a believer. You're a child of the king. But if you just simply feel bad that you got caught, or you have a little remorse over it, you might feel sorry about it, you may not be a believer. Have you tried to change and turn from your sin and turn to Christ? If you've tried that and you rely on the Spirit to help you do that, then you're a believer. But the second indicator of how you know you are a Christian is if you love Jesus. Do you love him? Do you really know him? You might know a lot about him, that he performed great miracles and he spoke with authority and he rose he, he, he raised Lazarus from the dead, and then he rose from the dead. You may, you may know a lot about that, but do you really know him on a personal, intimate level? If you do, you, my friend, are a believer. If you love him, and if you seek to follow him and want to follow him and learn more about him and, and have a relationship with him, it's about a relationship here. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the, dead, from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess it with your mouth and believe it where? Right here. This is where the emotion can come in too. Are you just enamored and in love with Jesus? Are you overflowing with thankfulness and gratitude because of what he's done for you and because of who he is? If that is you, you're a believer. You're a believer. You know, the last uh, 20 Four years have been really hard being a Tennessee fan. Let's be honest. It's been tough. There's been a lot of bumpy roads. 
But last night was a, a great night for us Tennessee fans, and every now and then we get glimmers of hope that things are turning around. There have been times where I've wondered, why am I a Tennessee fan, to be honest with you? But I'm not a Fairweather fan. My blood runs orange. It always has, it always will. Because I'm not a Fairweather fan. I've been a fan through the good times and the really bad times. But the good times come up every now and then. And they're good, and they're glorious. There's also hard times. Are you a Fairweather fan of Jesus or have you stayed faithful to him? And are you seeking to stay faithful to him through the good and the bad? There will be hard, tough times because as we talked about last week, we journey on the hard path. We go through the narrow gate as believers. We squeeze through it by ourselves and we journey on a hard path and sometimes we feel alone and we wanna go back to the wide gate and go on the easy path. But Jesus calls us to take up our cross to follow him on that hard path. And he will lead us to life eternal. If you believe that, cling to it today, hold on to it, and rest assured that you, my friend, are a child of the king and you'll be in heaven. Let's pray.